0: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fees, 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement. Due. $35 per line connection charge apply. CTMobile.com. This is KJ and Lions
1: on WEEI. Considering what broke last night that you probably can't comment on yet, do you have an idea of when? A potential move like that one would be made official, or um, at some point early this week. Uh, yeah, my my hope is, you know, that we're we're approaching something, and I'll I'll have something for you guys here in a, in a not too distant future. Final hour of KJ and Lions in progression Fourier here on WEEI. Happy twenty twenty four to you. May you have a wonderful, prosperous New Year. And kick back 10% to us. That's all we ask here. Just just kick back. I mean, agencies offer, they, what, they take 12%, John? Yeah, we just so want 10%. We, yeah, 10, yeah. yeah, 10%. Look, that's Craig Breslow commenting on the acquisition of Lucas Giolito. And this is a discussion that we had last week. If you missed any of KJ and Lions uh, today, it's actually going to be under the Weekends tab. It won't be under Gresham Fourier, so it'll be available on weekend shows. Just that today is not the weekend, so that's what threw me off. So thank you so much for that update from our producer. Here's the thing. Last week we were talking about, like, do you fight over getting Montgomery and Snell? Do you try and get both? And one of the things that we'd come up with is like, well, hey, if you go after Montgomery and Snell and you're trying to get both of them, you got to sell one of them on being the number two, and I think they walk away and don't even listen to any more because both are going to want to be the number one starters in their rotation. And I would even joked about, you know, Montgomery giving up 16 runs in his appearances at Fenway, and the last thing you want to do is, having this overpriced left-handed pitcher in Fenway who can't keep the ball in the short park, and then hearing the fans hear about it, go get a right-handed arm. And that's when you remember I mentioned Lucas Giolito because there there would be an advantageous element for the Red Sox. They could get a guy who's under 30, they wouldn't have to commit to a lot of years, and they could see what they can get within one, two, three years and not have to make him the number one starter. And I think that's what Craig Breslow's tracked in his trajectory is on in the in the moves that he's going to make.
2: Yeah, like I think right now he's a clear number two starter just to a number one you don't have yet. And, and I could see maybe even over the course of the season if Brian Bayo t- continues to develop and ascend, he could end up being your number two and Giolito's your number three, which I think, again, short-term contract, I think Giolito, that, like that would be fine. That would work out. And the thing about Giolito is – Which Giolito are you going to get? Like the guy in 2019 who was an all-star with a 3.41 ERA and got Cy Young votes in 19, 20, and 2021, And really the first half of last year, he had brought his ERA back down under four. He had still given up, I think, 20 homers at that point. But the wheels really came off once he got traded to the Angels and then was with the Guardians. He looked like a different guy, totally ineffective. So if you get that guy that got Cy Young votes in three straight seasons and, you know, had a mid-three ZRA and that's your number two starter, you're in great shape. If you get the guy from last year who got traded to the Angels or from the 2022 White Sox, then you're kind of still back to square one where you need, you know, multiple good arms in your rotation. So I think they're going to get closer to that guy who got the Cy Young votes and had the mid-three ZRA, but no matter what, I think to me, this is a clear number two starter move.
1: Yeah, I totally agree, and and different than, say, when we have the conversation about Tyler O'Neill or what we had about what Adam Duvall last year or what we're having about Trevor Story now, well, this isn't a fill-in-the-blank where, well, if he could get past the injuries and get back to the year 2020 blank, then we might be able to see something. I think, what, think about what the Angels situation was last year. It was a disaster. Like, it was a disaster to the point where they... That, they went and got Giolito to try and make a run and the run was not fruitious at all. It was it was a it was it's one of the mysteries. I, I think I was joking last year that the Angels may end up having its own 30 for 30 to say, how do you not even sniff playoffs with Otani and Trout on the same team? You got Carlos Rondon at the third, you brought in people like Giolito, you you brought in these different things and it just didn't work out. And I think a lot of that has to do with it's funny because people would have a question about like, are this is this team going to spend? And in 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 Los Angeles with the Angels, the answer was like they spent, and now the guy's trying to sell the team. So it, it it's not that you start, the team is for sale here, but I think it's a situation where if you give him a change of scenery, and people appreciate that, hey, we need a we need a a, a front one two pitcher, and even though he may not be the one, and then you start to think like, well, what about guys like Cutter Crawford and Tanner Houck? Do you believe this is going to be a situation that maybe you have three, four, the fourth and fifth starter, maybe the spot guys? Like, do you give those to the spot guys and still try and get that number one? So maybe I think – so let's just say you can do the deal for Corbin Burns. We'll we'll get into that conversation a little bit. So let's say he's your one, Giolito's your two, Bayo's your three, maybe Paxton's your four, and then the mix of like How, How and Crawford – And in Pavetta, maybe you say you mix them all in there together and they're your spot starters, or maybe one of those guys wins out that fifth spot. You don't have a bad rotation then.
2: Yeah, and I think that's like going into this offseason, I looked at it as you need a new guy ace, then another new guy number two, and then you'd have Bayo Paxton, and whoever you want at five, and then you'd be kind of in business. And I think the other part about this Giolito contract that I like is it's two years, but there's an opt-out after the first year. But let's just say he's here both years. By the time he leaves... Bayo should be good enough if he's, you know, continues towards his projector
1: To graduate one two to, to one. To be yep.
2: exactly to either be your ace or be your number two. So then you can afford to let Giolito go. You have that guy in Bayo, who's a homegrown guy as well. And again, you still need somebody else there. But I like this deal for Giolito because it gives him a chance to cash in again if he bounces back to that earlier White Sox form. But I like it for the Red Sox because I think he's a solid You know, number two, number three guy, depending on how Bayo develops. And he's also going to give you a lot of innings. Like last year, he threw 184 innings, 161 the year before that, 107. Because what was the biggest issue with the Red Sox rotation this year? They were out of the game in the fifth inning. Like like Chris Sale pitched 20 starts last year, and he threw 102 innings. Like guys averaging five innings a start. And it was happening all the time. The Red Sox had, I think, the sixth-fewest times for a starting pitcher through more than 80 pitches. They were 25th in the league in quality starts last year with 47. Like, they were not getting guys to go more than five innings, and it was killing the bullpen. And look, part of that was because their defense was bad, but it was killing the bullpen. They were losing games because of it, and I think a lot of frustration crept in from guys on the team when they're like, every time we roll a starter out here, you know, he's going to go three or four innings, and we got to piece it together after that. At least with Giolito, when you put him out there, you know, hey, this guy can give me a solid 6. He can give me a solid 7. Now, he's not going to throw 7 innings of one-run ball all the time, but you know what? If he gives me 6 or 7 innings and we give up 3 or 4 runs, like, all right, we're within striking distance and our bullpen is fresh, which again, if he's a number 2, number 3 guy, I think you can be satisfied with
1: that. Yeah, if he gave you 177 innings last year for the Sox, it would be 20 more innings then Bayo, who was the highest at 157, and then Pavetta at two, which makes a lot of sense because Pavetta would get in there and eat up a lot of innings. That's what's even crazy, right? Like Pavetta had what 16 starts. Last yeah, a lot year? of his innings were like in the second through sixth, like long right. relief appearances. It <laughs> right, felt like. right. It's almost kind of like did someone outpitch their little league total by just pitching one, two innings here? So that I, that that's the I guess the good thing about the Red Sox going into next season is. You would almost say you don't feel like there are any questions about the bullpen and the back and the back end with the with the closing situation, which was the glaring situation about a year, a year and a half ago. So we're a couple of years ago, about you know, eighteen months ago, well, to about a season and a half ago, it was like, hey, you could probably get six innings. I Man, when E. Roberts was, was like, oh, you get six innings out of them, but then seven innings, seven, eight, nine would be a disaster. Then it was like, oh, gosh, you're getting five innings out of them, but some of these guys like Crawford and Hauk and Pavetta are starting to eat up real innings and doing real work in yep. there and developing Chris that Chris Martin, pen. too. He Chris was terrific Martin well. last year. Right. So you, you had guys that filled in those gaps on the back end. You went and got Kenley Jansen. He's an all-star. So, again, those things, I'm glad those are filled out because if you remember those a couple of years ago, all those games the Red Sox were losing in the seventh and eighth inning, it was just heartbreaking. Like, What's the point of scoring six runs in the first three innings just to be losing 8-6 by the end of eight? It was just frustrating. So now I don't think that's as much of the problem. I think at the end of the day, getting Giolito is going to be key to then getting the number one because whoever yourself – because now if you make a play for Snell or for Montgomery or for uh, Corbin Burns in a trade – you can clearly go to those guys and say you will be our number one because like you said you didn't give up a lot of years and a lot of money to bring in Giolito and I still think the Red Sox have clear advantage because Giolito once you get into the option wouldn't even be 31 yet.
2: Right. So it's affordable and it's and a lot of it I think depends on again Bayo's development. Because let's say Bayo uh, there were long stretches of last year that he was just flat out great. So if he does that for a full season this year, then maybe by September, he's your number two. In which case, Giolito can always opt out too if he doesn't want to be here and be the number three. But if Giolito's your number three in a playoff race down the stretch in September, you're going to be in exponentially better shape than where you were this past August and September and even the year before as well. Because that's just been the most glaring thing. I think the Giolito move is a step to address it, and I think the Chris Sale trade is in a roundabout way another step, but those can't be the only steps the Red Sox make, right? Like, there needs to be another shoe that drops. Yeah, you move on from Chris Sale, now you use some of what you have, you know, some of your long-term savings, and you get a Dylan Cease or a Corbin Burns or whoever, and now your rotation's in much better shape.
1: All right, let's talk about the Chris Sale deal when we get back here. KJ and Lions here on Weei. Happy 2024 to you. Happy New Year's to you today. Uh, 617-779-7937. Text line 37937. Time to tra- Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medella is your reward. Medella, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. And with John, we're back at KJ
0: and Lions on WBEI.
1: JJ and lines on W-E-E-I. Merry New Year! You know, that never gets old right there. Merry New Year! 617-779-7937. Text line 37937. In for Resch and Fourier. They'll be back tomorrow. We've been talking about this, the big deal that the Red Sox have made. This is the biggest deal they've made so far. Is sending Chris Sale to the Braves in return for Vaughn Grissom. Uh, it's kind of a mini-brag. My co-worker does like the announcing for the Gwinnett Braves. He's like the, the guy. So he knows Vaughn Grissom very well and the kids and everything. So call that a future brag, right? That's a future brag. So he was wishing him well coming up here to Boston. Look, here's what's interesting. We'll get to the Chris Sale aspect of it, but I've got to get to the Vaughn Grissom and aspect of it and why this is so big, I think, for the team. If you just look at, because what I like to look at for, for, for prospects coming through the minors is batting average because that tells me, are you putting bat to ball? Are you getting on base? Depending on what you do, that depends on driving runs, right? But it, batting average means you got to hit, okay? I, I know people get an all to the Babbitts and all that and everything and all these. Look, no, look, just, just sugar in my tea. That's all I need. But this guy pretty much is hit within the, the 280s.
2: Yeah, and even his limited MLB action, right? Like 41 games a couple years ago for the Braves, hit 291 last year. It was only 23 games, but he hit 280, right, yeah. So that's something that you know, I think for the Red Sox, they do need another power bat long-term, but if this guy can give you solid contact and play decent second base, it's going to be a hell of a lot more than what you got at second base last year. And really, I mean, the Red Sox haven't had – A bona fide long term answer at second base since Dustin Pedroia stopped playing, right? So they finally, and I'm not, I don't know if Von Grissom is going to be that guy, but it seems like reports are he's going to be their everyday second baseman going into the year. And if he can be that guy again, it's something they have not had since Dustin Pedroia left.
1: Well, let's just let's just say this guy's qualified to to get bat on ball because if you get another guy in the lineup with bat on ball, I'm not even thinking about power. Now you can, I don't, I've never really been a fan of Devers in the two hole because my whole thing is like, wait. now, now granted, with, with Jared Duran there, I think you can now look at maybe putting Casas eventually in the two hole or maybe even you put Grissom in the two hole where you can do the hit and run, where you can do the safeties, you can do the squeezes, you can get some type of speed and movement on the bases that's going to force pitchers to throw more fastballs and not a lot of junk if you've got speed on the bases. So this is why I think it's important getting a player like this is because what have we seen from guys usually in that in in that second base spot or seven eight nine in the lineup a bunch of guys hitting two twenty and struggling to get to two twenty five so if you've got a guy who's already shown you in what would be about two hundred major league at bats can get you two eighty about two eighty five let's call it two seventy five with adjustment that's not something you've seen from second base. For the Red Sox, as you mentioned, since Pedroia was has been gone, so that means you got more contact, you've got a better discipline at the plate. That's one more batter in the lineup that's going to cause an issue, and can it probably get that enhanced speed depending on where they are in the lineup? Maybe it's a person you put nine in front of Duran at one. You never know. So you can you can do some flexible things, and like you mentioned, you can get some defen- de- decent defense. And when this guy's been called up to the to the major leagues. This guy's like seven six, seven years younger than everybody else virtually on average. So that means the guy's been around the game at its highest level at a younger age than most. I said that tends to bode him better long term than trying to get a guy who averaged maybe one or two years younger, you know, at double A AA or triple A, where you don't know if the guy's really gonna pan out.
2: Yeah, and I think the ideal place for me for them to start Von Grissom would be lower in the lineup because he is a younger player with still albeit MLB experience, but more limited experience as a younger player. And then if you get to, let's just say you get to mid to late May, maybe early June, and he is hitting in that 275 to 280 range, then maybe put him up to the you know the second spot in your lineup to have somebody behind yeah. Jaron Duran. And Because I think lot your ideal lineup long-term has like a 3-4-5 of Devers, Casas, and then another... Type of power bat at some point, you know, that they bring in. Maybe it's Teoscar Hernandez. Maybe it's someone completely, but another bona fide, legit major league bat. Because, again, for all the stuff. We we criticisms we had about Alex Verdugo, he was a pretty good defensive right fielder, and he occasionally could hit pretty well. Right, I know he's a little more inconsistent at the plate, but over the long haul, he gave you at least solid production. So you do need to replace that. So I, I would like to start Grissom near the bottom of the lineup, yeah. and if he shows a couple months in that, hey, he's ready. He belongs. Then put him up in that, that two hole and allow you to slide Devers and Casas down.
1: I just have a question for you, real quick, on that on that lineup. Why don't you? Why would you put Casas at third? The guy has an incredible eye. Right? and if you've got let's just say between Duran and let's say we get to a point where Grissom are on base in that three hole like I see I could potentially see Casas as being not so much this this power hitter that people want him to be but just this guy who provides solid contact with doubles driving in a bunch of runs I could see Casas driving in 115 runs easily and only have like 22 home runs just because the guy has such a great eye. Because then, if you're in a situation with two men on, and let's say one out or less, okay, or maybe bases loaded, and now you bring Devers to the plate, you know automatically a mistake fastball is going 430 feet. So with Casas, he may be the guy that takes that ball, right? So I would rather see Casas in the third hole taking that pitch And I would rather see Devers just hauling off on that pitch in the four-hole, especially with guys on base, and you know that you've got to make a pitch because you've got to get guys out and you haven't done it. So that's where I would change my perspective because I would put Devers at the four just because you know that you can get 45 home runs out of that guy. I don't know if you want to see that from Casas just yet. You would want to back into that, but I would rather him be that in that three-hole just driving people everywhere, almost like a George Brett with power that with, with with a little more pop would be the most dangerous causes i think okay now your thoughts on chris sale going to atlanta
2: yeah with chris sale going to atlanta i think it's an awesome fit for sale and the braves right mm. because this is and what a look at this offseason has been about the dodgers right they bring in yamamoto they bring in otani they bring in glass now this looks like a team that is almost and i know in baseball the playoffs can be random but it looks as foolproof of a world series team as you could probably make in baseball. And I think over the next five years, they're probably going to win multiple World Series. But if there's one team out there that I look at that can go toe-to-toe with the Dodgers and maybe beat them, it's the Atlanta Braves. So let's yep. not forget, they won the World Series two years ago. Last year, they were the best team in baseball. I do think baseball maybe needs to rethink how they're doing that first-round series because for the Braves and Dodgers, who are that good all year, to shouldn't both perform playing, yeah, they so badly right, right. after a week off. But that's just a side note. But... This is a great team, and now even if Chris Sale pitches as well as he did in 2018 when he was fully healthy and finished second in Cy Young voting, he's still going to be the number three option in that rotation behind Spencer Strider and Max Freed. So now you're going to go into a playoff series if Sale is healthy where he's going to be pitching game three. Maybe game four. I mean, that is, I think, a really important piece because let's say you do play the Dodgers. Well, okay, they have glass now at the top of that rotation. They have the young guy uh, Bobby Miller, I think his name is, uh, you know, up at the top of that rotation. But if your third starter is Chris Sale and they have a maybe older Clayton Kershaw or a recovering Dustin May as their third, maybe you win that game, right? So I think the Braves are the biggest threat to the Dodgers. And I think, look, if Chris Sale doesn't pan out and he's bad, you still have two great pitchers and a great team. But if he's good and he stays healthy, then it's just a cherry on top and you could
1: potentially beat the Dodgers. I think what's going to be so advantageous now for the Braves in this acquisition of playing against the Dodgers is, I was saying last year, if you can slow down Freeman and Mookie's bats, you can beat the Dodgers because they were so top-heavy. And that's exactly what happened to them. Their bats were frozen. They did absolutely nothing, just the two of them. So now you bring in Otani. So now that's another big bat. And Max Muncie, who's more of a power hitter, but not for average. This guy, he's really feast or famine, but he's from the left side. So you've got Otani from the left side. You've got Freeman from the left side. And you've got Max Muncy from the left side. That's where their damage is. And if you can get Chris Sale and his nasty slider going against those guys, the Dodgers may find themselves in some utter trouble. It's like you mentioned, you get to a third game and it's a one, say, if it's a one-one split and Chris Sale comes and shuts down. Three of your bigger you know, left handed bats. Now what Mookie may do against them, it depends. You know, Mookie's not really an inside pitch guy. He's more of a guy who wants the ball down in a way. And he has
2: been inconsistent in the playoffs in fairness, right. Mookie. Love Mookie, but just that's one thing.
1: Right. So if you bring in a Chris Sale who can bring that action to left handed batters, especially the Dodgers, and kind of freeze them the way they were frozen in this past uh, series then, my goodness, did the, did the Braves get a steal or did they get a steal? So that's kind of the story that I'm watching. But the other part of the story, I think, in this the other shoe that still has to drop is, who is going to be that number one starter? Do you go after Corbin Burns? Is that the full throttle that maybe was being referred to? Is it Jordan Montgomery? Do you go after Blake Snell? They're all still on the board. If you take one of them, which one would it be?
2: See, I would go for Dylan, Cease or Corbin, Burns, and I know you would have to give up prospects plus a contract extension, but they're just a couple of years younger, right? So if I'm going to bring in a guy for six or seven years, especially because, look, Giolito, it's a two year deal at most, and he'll be, you know, 31 at that point. Bayo's a younger player. If you can get somebody. In between them, age wise, that can kind of continue to be here as Bayo ascends. And then once Giolito is gone, you still have that guy in Bayo. Then I think you're in great shape. So I would love to have the guy, and Burns is my number one choice, but I would love to have the guy who is just a little bit younger because I love Blake Snell. But I think if I was going to bring in Blake Snell, I would still want Burns or Cease, just a guy who's a little bit younger. But if they bring in Blake Snell, I'll still be very happy. And I would take Snell over Montgomery.
1: I think there's something about the dynamic of the Red Sox having the dominant right-handed horse, right? That's part of its DNA. You go back to Clemens, Pedro, Beckett, those guys just kind of and I think that's it's time for that again, right? Because I think you you were hoping to get that from Chris Sale, and then as things broke down, so did kind of things break down a sale's part of that twenty eighteen World Series that won it all. But again, I still think you you need to have that right-hand dominant pitcher at the top of the lineup, at uh, top of the rotation. And I think I, I do worry about Montgomery, what may happen to him if he loses his bearings in Fenway as a lefty. So with the righty, you know, think about it. You've got the speed of Duran out there in center. If you're going to get deep fly balls, say, off of a right-hander, you've got 421 feet to work with, right? So – where with the left-hander you might be looking at things going off the wall and nobody loves hearing that thom thom you know you think about the toronto series a couple of years ago thom there was just thom so and you want to bring in a right hander because you got to think about what do you do when you face vlad jr or what do you do when you're face, facing some of these other beats like bats like judge or stanton um or how do you you may try and tie up soto so I don't know if you want to have a lefty in this AL East where you've got so many right-handed bats that are dangerous and dominant.
2: Yeah, and what I also like about Corbin Burns, too, and I think this is something the Red Sox need to be cognizant of, he's 6'3", 245 pounds, and he's thrown 167 innings three years ago, 202 two years ago, and 193 last year. So he seems to have the body type and the endurance that he's not going to break down much like Chris Sale did. I mean, you look at the Red Sox chose not to extend John Lester, and they chose to extend Chris Sale. Lester, I think, had a better frame, even though he wasn't as tall as Chris Sale. He had a better frame and better durability. You think they were hung up on the pickoff move? (laughs) So he pitched well all the way through Chicago, won a World Series there, was very durable. Chris Sale, he had electric stuff, and he was amazing those first three years here. Won you a World Series but then his body just broke down. And I know was, he had the bike accident too, which was weird, random. But his body started to break down. He had that you know freaky kind of wind up that I think put extra stress on his body. I think he was
1: confused between regular where, way and carriage way coming where, after Chestnut Hill. Where,
2: whereas a guy like Burns, I think maybe because of just his body type and the durability he's shown so far, I would feel more confident in him, even though he turns 30 next October being good until he's, you know, 34, 35 years old through most of if not all of the life of a contract extension.
1: Well, that's why I think you like you 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 take a chance with Burns because if he, he gets to 35, you can give him more years over a shorter period of time. I think in the whole Yamamoto sweepstakes, stakes, there was no way the Red Sox were going to be in there offering up 12 years for anything or for anybody. So I think they were just going to be out just on the years. Like you, they could have been in the race for Yamamoto, but I think Yamamoto's probably looking at what Otani did, and how do you get pretty much deferred money to try to kind of go back and pitch softball over Japan and still get paid by the you know by your by your MLB team? And even so, Dylan Cease is like six
2: two one ninety five, and just for reference, like Chris Sale is six six. He's only one hundred and eighty pounds. Yeah, so I think like they were going
1: nothing. for the Randy Johnson reincarnation yeah. thing. You get fascinated with the speed, the nasty slider that he had going, in, and it still showed some signs last year of being nasty but the problem was that fastball started losing mile per hour and that for therefore the slider wasn't as effective so it felt like the slider looked like just a dying curveball yeah. and the fastball looked like almost BP, not bp but it was it was dropping down into the 92 93 area and sale has been historically a 95 96 guy and that makes a big difference because if that slider is coming in at 88 or you know 89 and the fastball is coming in at 93 There's not really a bunch of – you can see the break a little bit better than if it's a a bullet coming to you or if it's just something dropping off.
2: Right, and I think that's why when you have a guy who maybe so far has been more durable and guys like Cease, guys like Burns, because even Chris Sale when he was on the White Sox – he was making a lot of starts, but what was the book on him? He's not as effective in September as he is in June. and Run, that was yeah, a Running thing, out of gas. Yep. Right. That was a thing with the White Sox. That was a thing even in 2018. He was terrific, finished second in Cy Young voting, but he was not quite as effective in September. I think he had to miss a couple starts in September, too, before they got into the playoffs because he just kind of wore down, ran out of gas, and that's something that if you're looking for your next ace, you can't really have that now because at least when they had Chris Sale – they also had David Price, right? So if Sale yeah. had to miss a start or two, it's like, oh, well, we still have David Price, you know, we're solid. And they still had Eduardo Rodriguez, too, as their third guy. Like, they were solid in their rotation. Now, look, look, I love Bayo, but it's his second, you know, full year in the majors. And Giolito, we established, and second or third starter. So you need a durable ace, not just from an obvious financial standpoint, but your rotation just isn't as talented as when you brought a guy like Chris Sale in.
1: So do you bring in uh, so you, you bring in a, a number one on the starter side for the uh, for, for the uh, oh gosh, I'm sorry, it's hour seven. <laughs> D- does mayor become part of the conversation?
2: I would hope not. like I still that's a guy that I'm really high on and I think could be a big part of their future. I would much rather them trade you know one of their outfielder type now, type prospects now, or if they
1: come and if Milwaukee says, we want Mayer in a deal for burns, do you
2: listen? I listen, but this would be probably my condition is that it's like a dodgers now trade where you get an extension done as the guy is being traded with you, which is tough because reports are Burns really wants to go to free agency and not do that extension early. And Glassnow had had some injury issues too, which I think made an extension not just a little bit more sense for the Dodgers, but him too because he had had some of those injuries before. I would listen if they asked from Mayer, and if, but I would be – a lot more hesitant than if they asked for pretty much any other prospect.
1: See, this would, this is what makes the whole Vaughn Grissom thing interesting. Vaughn Grissom is like 11th round pick, right? But Mayer is your first round pick. And do you feel like there would be the, this feeling of failure that the Red Sox blew a first round pick if they deal him for Burns? Especially or, fourth overall. Right, exactly. Or do you say, hey, you know what? We needed front line starting immediately. And let's just call it what it is. There's a shortage of it now. Like if... If teams are starting to go to bullpen day, what does that tell you? That means there's a shortage of real front-line arms. And so I wonder, you know, maybe you look at, can do you bring Pavetta back in the mix of things and so forth? I'm sure that's some type of option on the table. You know, I thought Pavetta probably felt like he was more effective as a starter. It was a little bit tough for him to take when it was asked to become, an, you know, the extended role guy. So that could come back into play as well. I guess the, the you know, Breslow will know, but I think what he's doing is, and this is what I'd mentioned last week when he you know, a couple of weeks ago when he was hired, is that he's not gonna be looking for band-aid solutions like Hein Bloom was, but this guy was going to be looking for young guys in organizations that may be ready to pop. Like Grissom has already seen some major league experience, but he's pretty much blossomed out of minor league ball. I think he'll do this with some other players as well, probably on the pitching side and that may be where you might be able to finagle some deals where you don't have to give up one of your top prospects, but maybe maybe you want someone who's got major league experience, you can get them to the club. Uh, you know, Maybe the A's are talking, and maybe they're interested in Bobby Dahlbeck. Maybe they have a room where they can see what they could do with him. So I, I think there are still some options there because you still have people like Pavetta and Crawford and Houck on the staff.
2: Yeah, and the Grissom thing is interesting because I, I would like him to be, come in and be that everyday second baseman, but... Maybe is he a guy that the White Sox say, oh, we like him for Dylan Cease? Like a guy, because again, only 22 years old, right? So another guy that you have as an option. They have a bunch of outfield prospects. So I think, I mean, we're at the point now. Yeah,
1: second base is a need for. I know, the and Red I agree. Sox. I agree.
2: <laughs> but we're at the point now where, like, the Chris Sale trade to me is not a move Heim Bloom would have made, right? Like, yes. he had an opportunity to trade Chris Sale reports where last year's trade, and when I say last year, 2022's trade deadline didn't take it. I don't think he would have made that move to trade Chris Sale. I think he might have made the Verdugo move, but we saw Craig Breslow do something that I don't think Bloom (laughs) would have done. I don't think Bloom would give up any prospects for a guy like Burns or Cease. I want to see if Craig Breslow will give up some prospects because a huge thing about being a GM is not just drafting the right guys and developing them and throwing free agent money at people. It's knowing which prospects do I trade. Go back to the original Chris Sale deal. Dave Dombrowski decided to trade Joan Moncada instead of Andrew Benintendi. I like Moncada. that was the right thing to do. Benintendi helped you win a World Series, so does Breslow know hey, Meyer's going to be better than Grissom, so I'll trade Grissom or vice versa or hey, I think they're both going to be good. I need both. I'm going to trade one of my you know outfield prospects. I that. think that's am going sell getting high about Breslow yeah, yeah, I'm going to sell high on Jaron Duran or something like that, whereas I don't think Bloom necessarily would do that right. now is an opportunity for Breslow. To separate himself and get something they really need.
1: Yeah, those are the two opposite ends. Hein Bloom was always looking to reclimate some guy who had been in the majors, and I think we're starting to see what Breslow's doing is. Hey, and hey, he knows what's going on at the minor league levels and who's ready to pop. And I think that's the difference. One is discovering the un- the unwatered plant, and the other one is like, hey, you can't really water that dried out plant anymore. KJ Lyons in for Gresham Fourier. We wrap the show next here on WEEI. Happy New Year.
0: To KJ and Lions on WEI.
1: Uh huh, baby. You sweet boy, and you get it get it. good, oh, so good. KJ and Lions WEI. Happy New Year! Best of 2024 to you in the history of the world. Like the last time you say best of 2020, uh, best of 2014 was like in 1924. I don't even know if these, 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 these things were around. I'm, I don't know. Maybe the Marconi award has been around that long, but you, you start thinking like, wow, a hundred years ago, good 24 to you. Like you only get to say these like once every hundred years. So a yeah, well,
2: hundred years from now, we'll still be saying it because we'll be here.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. If I don't know if we'll be saying it as much as someone will just type it in one one's arm with a chip yeah. and sending it out to everybody else and just saying need yeah. more food. Hey, shout need out more to uh, yeah.
2: Liberty University right now, up six to three on Oregon in the second quarter. Amen. Of that but totally Oregon, yes. you know, Oregon's <laughs> inside the five yard line. Looks like they're going to score. But credit, I mean, Liberty's still look. That's a tough matchup for them. They're out there competing. Demario Douglas is alma mater, so nice, nice that, job by Liberty
1: so far. That that is where my wife has her masters from. Really, so. You know, you you want to hear something shocking that you would never believe? My wife is an ordained minister. Would you believe that?
2: Uh, no, I don't know. Well, I, you know, I don't know if I would not believe. I just you know that's a. There's probably the only
1: person I know who
2: is an ordained minister.
1: Yeah, well, that's just like save the sinner, like at home every day. Like,
2: yeah, I was going to say, does she have to pray for you a lot.
1: Uh, uh, she yeah. does, and you yeah. know what? Having a praying wife is very good because you would rather have a praying wife that has the A in pray versus an E in yeah. pray. You know, because they. Like, what do you mean the bank account is empty again? What are you doing? Oregon you know? just
2: scored. Now they're up. well oh, there you go. See, see still, God brings Liberty, things back to life. Liberty's <laughs> out there. Liberty's out there competing. So good. You know, that's again. That's a tough matchup. They're competing a lot better than Florida State did.
1: Coming so, are, how many times do you think they use the reference? It's a David versus Goliath matchup. I hope Ba-da-bum. zero. I hope zero. It, you know, but you know that some of these guys that you have, you're rolling out there. You know, come on. Yeah. They really do need some good comedy writers. Yeah. You know, that's some of the stuff they go for. It's like. That was funny. Did you try that out? Like, with like a test group. before I you am said looking that.
2: forward though. Like I said, we got said uh, it's me. one one forty nine right now. So what do we have? Like three three, just over three hours until kickoff of the college football playoff. Like I think yeah. this is going to be, and it could be Jim Harbaugh's last game in Michigan. Right? We've talked about. could be Bill so Belichick's Check's last game in New England could be Jim Harbaugh's last game in Michigan if they lose, and his last week there. Even if they win, so uh, pretty entertaining. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Both games. I actually think the Michigan Alabama game might be more entertaining than Texas-Washington. I could be wrong, but I just think those 2 storied programs with the amount of talent, they're key to me. Michigan's defense, because Michigan's defense, best in the NCAA this year, but the last two times they've been in the college football playoff, KJ, they've given up a ton of points. Can they actually play like they did this season today?
1: See here, I think Washington-Texas will be an exciting game, and Alabama-Michigan will be a thrilling game. Okay. Yeah, Washington, Texas will be one of those high scoring games. You'll be fully entertained. It'll be an entertaining game. The thrill in that in that that, the the Alabama Michigan game is going to be the tension. I think that, like, oh my gosh, like, could they do this? Like, this is really a crazy game. Is Michigan gonna
2: lose another one? Right.
1: I I think I think harbaugh is gone as well. I think he's the guy at the Chargers next year. I really believe so. I think it's a place where they might give him a level of control. He's got a roster there. He's got a top-flight quarterback. He's in L.A. He he could try and position himself to kind of be the Chiefs killer in that division. So like, And plus, he's already lived in California. So, again, I think that Harbaugh probably is the guy for that Chargers deal. And I, I think there's probably a part of him that thinks like, gosh, you know, when they picked on me about having a dude in a hat and a sideline, that's coming from the Big Ten. The NCAA wants a piece of me as well. So he can't win for losing, and if he loses – Look, he's done his job already, right? If he wins a national championship, great. He's done that. He's already beaten Ohio State. He owns them, and that was really the biggest scream that was going at Michigan. Like, we got to start beating Ohio State, and he started doing that. All right, if you missed any of the show, the weekend show tab will feature KJ and Lions at the Odyssey app. It's absolutely free. Just type in W-E-E-I. You can hear the show back in chapters. John, I'm with you, man. I'm going to go to a sister-in-law's house, have some dinner, then probably just go ahead and just I don't know that five o'clock game might, m- might take care of my itis. And then I'd be fully awake for the next game because like really over the holiday, I have not been able to have like regular sleep. You yeah. remember on Christmas Eve, my daughter was in the ER. So she's asking "Does Santa come to the ER. I was like, wow, this is a really side question that I have to lie about now because he can't deliver presents. Like they're not going to be in the four year with masks on. Right. So, so that through that and then double shift today, which I'm really appreciative for. So, before we get out of here, I want to hear some of your New Year's resolutions for Boston sports teams. So, for the Red Sox, pretty simple. Just,
2: you know, spend money. That would be cool, you know, especially on starting pitching. And pray, report. P-R-A-Y,
1: yeah. not pray. Well, <laughs> there was
2: a report out from Chris Cotillo yesterday that they had a hard budget last year of $225 million and could be the same thing this year. Like, just go out and spend some money, right, especially on starting pitching. For the Bruins, they've actually they've gotten back on track. I would still like to see them, if they can do something, to beef up the middle of their offense. So something at the center position. Charlie Coyle's been really good this year, but I think Pavel Zakis had some really good moments, and I like the player a lot. Matt Patra had a nice start, but, of course, now he's with Canada playing in the juniors. I'd like to see another legit body there
1: at center. Just, I'd like to be able yeah. to see just kill some minutes at the end of a game and win series when you're supposed to. Yeah, that would be cool, too. That really comes down to. Yeah.
2: For the Celtics, uh, take Kristaps Porzingis, put him in bubble wrap, and just hide him until May. Okay, that that's my New Year's resolution for you because that guy's going to help you win a championship if he's healthy, which is the biggest question mark about him. And then the Patriots, man, go
1: get an enforcer. Celtics. There's a lot
2: of resolutions for the Patriots. I, I'll just say, upgrade your whole offense. That's it. Yeah, the whole offense.
1: Yeah. Do you think everybody should you? Do you think Kraft could go to Bill? And say, because keep in mind, there's probably a desire that he wants to move on from Bill, but because there's been so much success, you just can't do it sloppily, right? It's This isn't June 11th, 1970 in Goodfellas, right? This is You've got to execute this job and do it very well. I think it's one of those situations where you say, okay, Bill, we want to see you use, we want to have more say in the offensive acumen than what we've seen over the last couple of years. Please don't bring in a Josh McDaniels. Let's see what Bill O'Brien can do maybe for one more year. But after that, we've got to come off of all of your coaching tree. You think he takes it?
2: I think he might, but I don't know. I think he might.
1: Yeah, the coaching tree. It's time to die for that coaching tree. It really is. I mean, look, Belichick is – I think he gets a 25th year. I think this isn't his last game this Sunday. I I think – some players, some some of the coaches may probably have to start looking elsewhere because there's no long term future with the Patriots. I think for any of them after next year, and I don't think Vrabel is the answer because that's just really just getting another tree that's from the same tree. Right. If you missed, I like any Brian of the,
2: Flores though. Side
1: note, he's still on the tree. That's what he's saying. All right, Shime and Dondero are next. Have a great New Year's Day. Rest, prosperity, great fortunes to you. Thank you for all your support in 2023. We're going to have so much more for you in 2024. Thank you so much, Nico, for a great job. And guys, have a safe and safer New Year's Day. You may not have worn off, let's be honest. See ya!